I want to talk with you about how to move from minimal living into abundant living. And I'm not talking about resources, money, possessions, because that is exactly what Jesus promised to everyone who follows him, an abundant life. Jesus says this in John 10, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life, and look at this, and have it abundantly. Everybody say abundantly with me. Abundantly. An abundant life. That's what Jesus has promised to those who believe in him, a great life. Now, you and I both know that the Christian life is not a perfect life. It's not a problem-free life. And yet, in the midst of an imperfect life, in the midst of a problem-filled life, you can experience an abundant life. So the question is, how in the world does that happen? How do I move into abundant living that Jesus has promised right in the midst of all the problems that I'm facing? Well, 1 Thessalonians reveals three gifts that God has already given to you and to me that will move us into an abundant life if we'll just use those three gifts every day of our lives. Write this down. The first gift is this. You've been given the gift of knowing God's will for your life. He's given you this gift of knowing his will. And you might be saying this morning, I don't know what God's will for me is. Well, the Bible's going to tell you a portion of his will this morning. He's already told you three specific things that are his will for your life. You don't have to guess what his will is. He's already told you. And once you know and follow through with these three general things that I'm about to share with you that are his will for your life, he can then begin to work in you and reveal more specific things like relationships you should have or the careers you should have or, or how you could serve him better. So what's God's will for you? First of all, write this down. His will is that you be joyful, filled with joy as a Christian. Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica, he says this, rejoice always. So God's will for your life is that you be one that is constantly rejoicing. Always. In every circumstance, be a rejoicing person. One who gets up and says, this is the day that God has made. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. Yes, I've got junk going on, but I'll be glad and rejoice in this day. In fact, as you live each day, his will is that you be joyful no matter what you're facing, what you're enduring, what you're dealing with. And you can do that only if you recognize that God Almighty is with you and will help you face the problems in front of you. If you recognize that you are not alone, that God Almighty will help you. You can be full of joy when you know that God is on your side. Amen? Oh, they say amen a lot bigger in the Philippines. Amen? amen. All right. Just be like that worship leader guy. Just, I'm just going to go like this, all right? And you say amen. Second thing. His will is that you pray. Not only that you be joyful, but that you pray. Paul goes on to this group of believers in Thessalonica, and he says, pray continually. So God's will for your life is that 
you're constantly praying throughout your day. So his will is that you just be a praying person. That doesn't mean every second of your day, but why not throughout your whole day? Begin to be a believer that's in conversation with God throughout your whole day. Lift your requests to him. Lift your praises to him throughout your day because, listen, he is with you. The Bible teaches that he cares about you. The Bible says that he listens to you. So like a friend, talk with him throughout your day. Pray. Converse with God throughout the day about everything. Because he is with you. And Jesus says, you are my friend if you do what I command you to do. And so if you're following Jesus Christ, he sees you as a friend. And he wants as a friend to walk and talk and listen to you throughout your day. Next, his will is that you give thanks. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for you is that you be joyful that you pray, and that you give thanks, no matter what comes. Now, he doesn't expect you to thank him for all things, because there's some bad things that come. There's some evil things that come. But he says, give thanks in all of those things. As you endure, as you go through all of those things, still be giving thanks to him. And why can we do that? Because he is, as God Almighty, is able to help you endure those things. He's able to deliver you from those things. He's able to sustain you during those things. He's able to give you power in those times of your weakness, power far beyond your own. He's able to bring good out of the bad that comes into your life. He's able to help you grow stronger in your faith during those times. You can give thanks to God because he is greater than anything that comes into your life. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Now, as you begin to do these three things, be joyful, praying, thanking, these things that are God's will for you, that puts you on the track to move from minimal living into abundant living. That begins to help you experience abundant living when you have that ongoing relationship, constantly praying, praising, thanking the Lord Jesus Christ, being with him at all times. Now, you've been given the gift of knowing God's will for your life, and that's part of his will. But the second gift is this. You've been given the gift of having God's word for your life. He's given you the gift of his word. Now, the word of God, when follows, followed, directs your life. And if you follow its directions, you'll end up at the place that Jesus has promised to take you into abundant life, into abundant living. His word is a gift that moves you toward abundant life. And here in this part of his word in Thessalonians, he directs you and tells you how to respond to two very specific things. Write this down. It tells you how to respond, first of all, to the Spirit, to his Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who lives inside every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, When it comes to the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. In other words, do not try to extinguish or douse or throw water on the fire of God's Spirit who is now working inside of you. Don't try to slow down 
or stop the work that the Spirit is trying to do in you and do through you. If you want an abundant life, give God's Holy Spirit free reign in every room, every part of your life. Don't quench him. Don't hold him back. Don't push him down. John said this, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of his sandals, talking about Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit, when he enters our lives, when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, it's actually the Holy Spirit who comes and his fire comes and cleanses and gives us passion to follow Jesus Passion to become more like Jesus and to do the work of Jesus. So Paul is saying, do not quench the Spirit living in you. Because the Spirit of God is prompting you to start doing some right things and at at times prompting you to stop doing some wrong things. So when the Spirit of God says, I want you to step out and do this, don't don't say, no, wait a minute, I need to study some more. I, I need to, you know, gain a little more courage. No, don't quench the spirit if he's saying to step out and do something for Jesus. Don't push him back. If he tells you to stop doing some wrong things, repent, be obedient. Say, yes, Lord, you're you're right. It's wrong. I'm not going to do it anymore. So when you've been prompted by the spirit, don't quench him. Because if you do, understand that you are actually saying no to almighty God. The spirit of the living God within you. You're saying no to God. Next, he tells you how to respond to the second thing, how to respond to prophecy. Paul says this, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Now, prophecy is not foretelling the future. A prophecy is telling forth or telling forward or telling again the truth of God. So declaring the truths of God through preaching and teaching, that's a positive thing. And when you hear somebody speak into your life a word through preaching or teaching or singing, Paul is saying don't treat those prophecies with contempt or disrespect. If it is the truth of God that's being spoken into your life, and if you're convicted by that truth, consider what God is saying to you. Be humble. Repent of your sin and obey God. But then Paul says this, at the same time, you're to test all prophecies. Everything that you hear that's that's taught, that's preached, that's, that's spoken into your life, test it. Well, with the Holy Spirit living in our lives and with having God's word in our hands, we can read and understand a prophecy or a truth from God's word every day. But it wasn't that way in the Old Testament times. So when God wanted to say something, he would have to speak through a guy that was called a prophet. And then the prophet, after hearing God's message, would then go out and say, hey, this is what the Lord God Almighty is saying. But no matter how a prophecy comes from a single person, from a pastor, from a teacher, it's to be tested. And I want to share with you five tests. Tested. Is it true? Is it from God or not? First of all, write this down. Give it the scripture test. Do the words you are hearing agree with scripture? You might have to go back and open God's word, go to a concordance and test it out, look up that topic, but does it agree with scripture? 
Second test is the Jesus test. The Jesus test. The Bible says don't trust any teacher who comes and teaches that Jesus did not come in the flesh. So if you're listening to, to some teacher and, and there's a word that, that comes and, and that teacher does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the human flesh, who died to pay for our sins on a cross and rose on the third day, then appeared to 500 people and then rose into the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul is saying, don't trust that teacher. That teacher is a false teacher. That's the Jesus test. Then there's a third test. It's called the grace test. The grace. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and you're trying to, and they're trying to start to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, talking about the gospel of the grace of Christ, let them be under God's curse. In other words, Paul is saying, even if someone you respect, like they respected Paul, or even if you see an angel descend from heaven and they teach to you a gospel that's all about laws and restrictions and rules and rituals to get to heaven instead of the grace of Jesus Christ, he's saying, don't believe that teacher. Don't believe that person, not even an angel. Because, folks, we are saved from the punishment we deserve for our sins only by the grace of God by putting our trust in Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. Amen? That's the grace test. Then the next test is the character test. Simply watch the way that a teacher or preacher lives. Do they personally live the truth that they're preaching or teaching? What kind of character do they have? Is it a Christ-like character? Can you look at their lives and say, man, they model Christ in most every way. Now, none of us are perfect, but that's the character test. Jesus says this, Beware of false teachers who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are wolves and will tear you apart. You can detect them by the way that they act, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit produced. Not all who sound religious are really godly people. That's one of the problems with sometimes just saying, I'm not going to go to church, I'm tired, I just want to stay in my pajamas, so I'm going to listen to somebody on the radio, I'm going to watch somebody on, on TV, because you can't sit down with them. You, you can't live life with them. You can't watch their lives. You can't check out their lifestyle. doesn't mean that they're all bad, but you can't test their character. They may teach some truth, but then they may personally live like hell. They, they may teach some sound doctrine, but be out of bounds or so out of bound on some things that they would lead you towards not heaven, but hell. So follow someone who has a godly character. Follow Jesus. <laughs> follow the, the word of God, but then find a, a preacher and teacher. May not be the best teacher. And I'm not talking about me here now because I'm just awesome, right? Amen. 
may not be the best teacher, may not have the biggest church around or whatever, but if they speak the truth and they live the truth, follow them. That's the character test. Last test is the edification test. Do their words and teachings build you up and encourage you to live for Christ? Now, there are times when the Word of God calls us into accountability. There are times when the Word of God, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, convicts us and it it cuts us. There are times that we have to humble ourselves in the Word of God and before the Word of God before it can build us. But most of the time, the Word of God is edifying and encouraging to us. Now, if you'll just run what you hear through those five tests, go home this morning and run what you've heard this morning through these five tests. If you do that on a a regular basis, you're going to stay true to the gospel of Christ. You're going to stay on the right path, the one that leads to heaven. Now, why test what you hear? Is it so you can criticize the people who were speaking when they get it wrong? No. No. It's so that you can test everything so that you can hold on to what's good. So that you can reject and hold on what's wrong and hold on to what's good. So that you can reject what's counterfeit and hold on to what's genuine. Test everything. Hold on to what's good and reject the rest. Folks, you've been given the gift of having God's Word. It's a gift. It directs us. It tells us how to respond to all kinds of things. But here in Thessalonians, to the Spirit of God and to prophecies. And then last, you've been given the gift of God working in your life. What a gift that is. You see, the reason that you can move into the abundant life that Jesus promised to you is because you have God at work inside of you, enabling you, empowering you. Almighty God, I mean, can you get your head around that? Almighty God who created all that exists by his spirit is living in each one of us. Almighty God is living in you to make it possible for you to become a person who is holy, acceptable, and pleasing, and set apart for him, not only now, but for all eternity. He is living and working in you And because of that, write this down, he is able to keep you from evil. The Bible says in the book of James, he is able to keep you from stumbling. Paul says this, reject every kind of evil, not just the visible kinds of evil, but the invisible kinds. Those things in your lives, in my life, that we know about, that God knows about, but maybe nobody else knows about. Those things that we let live and let loose in our hearts and minds that God says are sinful. We need to reject and move every evil thing, visible or invisible, out of our lives. Amen? We've got to be vigilant. We've got to stay alert. Every single thing that's not pleasing to God, we've got to move out of our lives. Now, you can't do this on your own. I can't do it on my own. But you don't have to. You see, you've got Almighty God living inside of you, and He's willing and able to give you the strength to overcome every temptation. He's willing and able to give you the strength, strength that's beyond your own, to overcome. So when temptation comes knocking at your door, you don't go to the door. 
You send Jesus, amen? <laughs> when Satan knocks on your door, the one who is soliciting you to sin, you don't go to the door. Instead, you run into the arms of God. You run to this tower of refuge, which is God. You run into the arms of God. Ask God who lives in you to deliver you. He's able to keep you from evil. Next, he's able to keep you blameless. Blameless. Can you imagine that? Completely blameless. Now, can God who is living and working in you keep you blameless? Here's the question. Before you go to heaven? Is he able to do that? The Bible teaches that we will be made perfect and holy when we get to heaven. But what about now? Paul says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So listen, God who is living and working in you is able to sanctify you. Here the scripture says, through and through. He's able to set you apart from sin. He's able to set you apart for him. That's what the word sanctify means. He's able to wash you, cleanse you, purify, and make every part of you blameless. First, how does he do that? Well, first, write this down, little theological lesson. First, he sanctifies you positionally. Positionally, the moment you invite Jesus to be your savior, you're set apart for him and in his heaven. You're not perfect. You're not blameless. But because Jesus took the punishment for your sins on the cross, you are now declared not guilty. You're then positioned or seated with Jesus in heaven. You're now a part of his forever family. He sanctifies you positionally. But then next, he sanctifies you practically. As God lives inside of you day by day, he works inside of you to convict you of sin, to cleanse you from sin, to empower you to overcome temptations to sin, to enable you to serve him and to become more like him. In other words, he takes you through this sanctifying process. And has God stopped working on you yet? It goes on and on. And sometimes he starts with some of the big visible stuff. But all of your life, the Holy Spirit is working on us on the inside to perfect us and make us more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a practical, sanctifying process. But then last, he sanctifies you perfectly. That happens when we see Jesus. The Bible teaches that when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be made to be like him, holy blameless. But how does that happen? There's four words here at the end of 1 Thessalonians that tells us, and I want to say this morning, if you don't get these four words, you won't experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised to you here on earth. Because you'll be tempted to leave here and try it on your own to live holy. And you're going to end up discouraged because time after time, you're, you're going to fall short when you're not living the holy life that God has called you to. Instead of being encouraged by living an abundant life, you'll be discouraged. 
So look at what Paul says. The one who calls you, God, is faithful. And how do you get sanctified perfectly? He will do it. Look at those four words. He will do it. What's our job? It's just to love God, obey God, lean on God for power when tempted, call on God for forgiveness when you blow it. And on that day when you see Jesus, he will finish his work in you and he will completely and perfectly and finally sanctify you. How do you become completely holy and blameless? Perfect? Say it with me. He will do it. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Out of his great love and grace, he's going to finish this work that he started in us so that us who didn't deserve heaven can live in God's holy heaven with Jesus Christ, our Savior, forever and ever. Come on, all of God's people said, that is just awesome. You've been given the gift of knowing God's will for your life. That's to be joyful and prayerful and thankful. The gift of having God's word for your life, it tells you how to respond to all kinds of things. The gift of having God working personally in your life to keep you from evil and then to make you completely blameless. Folks, because of these three gifts that God's already given to you, you can move from minimal living into abundant living. It just means we go home and we begin to practice and utilize these gifts. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life abundant. So let's leave this place and let's follow God's will. Let's obey God's word. Let's surrender to his work inside of us. And we will begin to experience abundant living. Amen? You with me? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. As I pray, would you just make this a prayer of commitment in your heart? Just repeat it in your heart after me. Father, today I want to have this abundant life that Jesus promised. So I'll begin to do my part. I will use these gifts that you've given that will move me into abundant living. And I'll leave the rest up to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for this love that we sang about this morning, this grace that you offer. Lord, thank you for taking us as we are and beginning to work with us on the inside to make us ready to live with you for eternity. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to resolve in our hearts and minds to move on to this abundant life that you've promised. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.